0: So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that, um, or even if you've been with us this year, you'll know that we're, we're going through this year's uh, a theme called Deep and Wide. And, and the whole idea of this theme, this theme for the year of being Deep and Wide, is that actually we want to be a little bit more like Jesus, and we want to know Jesus more. And over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been doing this series called The Story of the Kingdom. You know, stories are the most powerful means of shaping how we humans think and behave. Jesus told a story, the story of the kingdom. It's the story about how God, who is our good and kind king, has been at work in this world to restore his rightful rule and reign. And the story of the kingdom of God really just just brings and holds the whole Bible together. And the story of the kingdom was really the central message that Jesus spoke of. And if you believe in it, and if you enter into it, then it will radically change your life forever. So far in this series, we've heard how we have a rescuing king, and that king is King Jesus. We've heard about how God is restoring his rightful rule and reign, how his kingdom has been breaking into this present time. And how that we, as his image bearers, are to represent God's good and kind rule wherever we go. So why is it, given all of that, that something still seems to be wrong? That the world is still broken? And it is broken. How else do you explain all the wars, murder, cruelty, sickness, death, poverty, injustice, and broken relationships in the world. Why is it that life is so hard, even for followers of Jesus? Welcome. It's going to be a really (laughs) cheerful talk this morning. Anyone who looks at the world with any amount of thought recognizes that there is something wrong with it. There is something, dare I say, evil in it. There have been many theories over the span of history as to what evil is. The philosopher Plato said that matter is evil, and so therefore our bodies are evil, and so we need to escape our bodies and become pure spirits. The French philosopher Rousseau said that society is evil, that actually we're we're born good, but then we are corrupted by society, by schools, by parents, by learning. And Karl Marx thought that evil in the world was due to the unjust economic systems. You know, the Bible has something to say about this. The Bible says something about this evil that we face and why life is so hard. So if you have your Bibles with you, then please get them out now, physical or electronic. And turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 6. And we're going to be starting in verse 10. Now we're going to have the verses up on the screens on either side as well. So if you haven't got a Bible with you, you can follow along there. So verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Bible makes it really clear we are in a battle. We are in a war and we have an enemy. And today we're going to be looking more at this war And at this enemy. And today's talk is titled, The Clash of the Kingdoms. Now, some of you may already be wriggling in your seats. At the mere mention of spiritual battle or a spiritual evil, in this current culture of the West, in this post-Christian culture, there is a thought that is prevalent, and that is that there is no such thing as the supernatural or the spiritual. It's just the topic of some cool TV and books, or either, whether it's fictional or whether it's something that pretends to be fictional, which no one really believes in. This cultural mindset sometimes influences even those in the church, those who are followers of Jesus, especially if you consider yourselves to be progressive. And I think most of us here probably do to some degree. Or the other. This is the mindset that says, yes, of course, the Holy Spirit exists, and we believe in the supernatural, the miraculous, but I'm not so sure about evil spirits or something that Jesus personalized with specifically with the name Satan and demons. But let me ask you when you see terrible evil, some horrible thing that is going on around, in the world, or even in our town? Do you say to yourself that these things are only happening because of mental illness, or because of a few psychopaths, or because of crowd psychology, maybe because of greed? This couldn't possibly be something beyond that, could it? It couldn't be beyond mental illness, or crowd psychology, or or a distorted ideology of some group. That whatever happened could not be the result of some otherworldly supernatural evil. Something more sinister, more powerful, and more wicked. Something that takes possession of individuals, groups, and cultures. That is pure evil. If the idea of a supernatural evil strikes you as medieval, something impossible For people in a scientific age to still believe in, then I would encourage you to pick up a book written by M. Scott Peck. It's titled People of the Lie. There you go. Now, Peck, who's a um, a medically trained and practicing psychiatrist, has spent many, many, many years interviewing and spending time with people who've, who've, bless you, uh, who have committed crimes and done terrible things. And, and his conclusion is that with these people, evil goes beyond mere psychological categories. People whose evil has a supernatural dimension to it. Some of you may still be thinking, yeah, but you know what? I don't want to be one of those Christians. Those that super-spiritualize everything. And you know what? I get it. I've met some of those, and there are some in the wider church who see demons literally around every corner. If they just missed getting that parking spot, then that was a spiritual attack. It was a demon driving that car. Really? Maybe you just missed the parking spot. I don't know. Or maybe you trip over something or you stub your toe. It's a demon! But because some give the demonic too much credit, doesn't mean that the demonic do not exist. A great quote from one of my favorite authors and Christian thinkers. No, not N.T. Wright, <laughs> although he is a favorite of mine. This quote is by C.S. Lewis. Yes, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, which is probably most famous for, but he's also the author of some amazing Christian books, both fiction and non-fiction, including Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy, and The Screwtape Letters. And in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. If you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis's non-Narnia books, then I really do recommend them to you. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is completely true. We can overfocus on devils, and demons, my goodness, lots of sneezing this morning, bless you all, which is just as bad as completely dismissing their existence in what is going on in the world. There can be no doubt what the Bible says on the matter. Ephesians 6.12, we read earlier, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle, we fight against spiritual rulers, powers and authorities, against spiritual forces of evil. We are in a war. If you read the New Testament, then it is really clear that we are in a war. Another verse that makes this clear is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds." Some of you may be thinking, okay, there's a war going on, but I'm not a fighter. I choose to be a non-combatant. I'm a conscientious objector. I'm afraid that isn't a choice that you can really make. You see, we are all born into the war zone. This isn't some war in a far-off place that we can choose to ignore. The war is happening all around us. All of creation is the battlefield, is the war zone. There is a war going on, a war between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom ruled by Satan. And whether you like it or not, whether you want to be a conscientious objector or a non-combatant or someone who's just agnostic about the war, be clear, there is a war going on. And we as followers of Christ, followers of the good King, have been drafted to fight on behalf of Christ's rightful rule, on behalf of the kingdom of God. So we're drafted, and we're in a war. But do we really know who our enemy is? Satan and his demons. Do we really know them? Has anyone heard of Sun Tzu? Few of you. So Sun Tzu was a Chinese general, a military strategist, writer and philosopher who lived in ancient China 2,600 years ago. And Sun Tzu is famous for writing an ancient book on military tactics and strategy called The Art of War. It's one of the oldest books on military strategy in the world, and it's had a huge influence on military strategy, not only in the East, but also in the West. It's also, it's not only been... Um, used within military. It's also been used outside of military. Um, there, was, there was a version of it that was released, especially for business leaders, um, as an example. And in that book, Sun Tzu says, you may know your enemy before going to battle. If you know your enemy and know yourself, you will come out of 100 battles with a 100 victories. If you only know yourself, but not your opponent you will win one battle and lose the next. If you do not know yourself or your enemy, you will always lose. For the rest of this talk, I want to focus on those two things. Know your enemy. To know who our enemy is, how we recognize him and what his tactics are. And secondly, know yourself to know who we are, how we defend, and fight. As I'm sure you can imagine, these are two huge areas to cover, and I'll only be scratching the surface today. Maybe at some point in the future we'll do a series just focused on this. It will depend on how many of you are asleep by the end of this particular talk. I will be counting heads at the end. But for now, let's crack on. Know your enemy. You know, there are a number of names that are used for our enemy, for this supernatural evil that comes against the church, that comes against the world. And just some of the names that we see in the Bible are principalities, powers, the evil one, the serpent, the dragon, the ruler of this age, the deceiver of this world, Elohim. Elohim might surprise some of you especially if you've heard of that word Elohim in reference to God. That's capital G, God. Capital E, Elohim, is a title, not a noun, and it refers to our God, Yahweh. But lowercase e, Elohim, means God, little g, or more accurately, gods, and it is used to refer to spiritual beings of all types in the Bible. Um, it refers to demons, to angels, to, to local gods, etc. I could spend the rest of the time just exploring how we, we call demons, are, what we call demons are actually these gods, these Elohim. But alas, and maybe for another time. Where were we? The devil? You would have heard of that one. And the one that we probably recognize the most is the name Satan. Satan, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew Satan, your Hebrew lesson for the day. Um, and the Hebrew Satan is it's a generic noun and it means accuser, it means adversary or slanderer. And then the Hebrew ha-satan or the Satan, ha is just the in Hebrew. Um, that's what refers to you know the the person, or the, the the person we think of as our heavenly accuser, as our enemy, as our adversary, and what it does is it characterises his role as the person who brings accusation, as the person who brings slander. So, what do we know about this enemy, this Satan? Looking back to Ephesians six eleven to twelve, I think we can pick up a couple of things. It says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The enemy is cunning. He schemes. John Stott, the evangelical author, preacher, and theologian said this about this particular verse and particularly the word that is translated as schemes. It says, schemes is a combination of tactical shrewdness and ingenious deception. The devil seldom attacks openly. When he transforms himself into an angel of light, we are caught unsuspecting. He is a dangerous wolf, but he enters Christ's flock in the disguise of a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often is as subtle as a serpent. We must not imagine, therefore, the open prosecution and open temptation to sin are his only or even his commonest weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and deceive us into error. Satan's key weapons are deception, distraction, and compromise. Jesus referred to Satan as the father of lies in John 8:44. 44. You are your father. Your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan will do everything he can to take you out of the battle, to sideline you so that you are no longer a threat to him. He will deceive you and tell you that you are nobody, that you can't possibly be in a spiritual battle. You're barely holding yourself together. Or that you can't possibly be in a battle because you're just not spiritual enough. There are plenty more people who are more spiritual than you. They should fight. Or maybe when you're stronger as a follower of Jesus, you can fight. Maybe you're thinking... I need to take that theological course first. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a theological course. And by the way, if you're interested, come see me. I'll point you in the right direction. But don't use it as an excuse to take you out of the battle. All these are lies the enemy uses to do just that, to take you out of the battle. The enemy will entice you into inaction through distraction and enticement. Rather than spending time in God's presence, reading the Bible, praying, worshipping, all things, by the way, that Satan really doesn't want you to do because it is really dangerous to him. Rather than doing those things that strengthen you and take you into the battle, Satan would rather you spend your time finishing that Netflix box set because it's really important that you finish it that night. Other streaming services are available. Or maybe it's playing FIFA or Fortnite for hours upon end. Not much of a response. Not many gamers, I think, in this crowd today. The point is, there is always something to occupy our time. Something more enticing. Maybe what is enticing is not video games or TV, but that colleague at work. Even though you are married, maybe you think, They understand you so much better than your spouse. They never disagree with you. Maybe you say, marriage with my wife is just so hard. Life would be so much easier if we just got divorced. I could start again. It would be best for both of us if we just give up now, and then we could both be happier. And before my wife starts filing the divorce papers, (laughs) let me just say, don't be deceived. Marriage isn't about being happy. Let me rephrase that. (laughs) Marriage isn't just about being happy. Marriage is a covenant. There will be hard times. You can't be in the heights of happiness all the time. But as a covenant, marriage says that you will not just stay for the good times, but also for the tough times. The marriage vows are for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death us do part. It's a commitment. Okay, where was I? Yes, the enemy will entice you away from battle or seduce you into sin. Then when you sin, you start to rule yourself out of the battle. You say, I can't do battle. I'm a sinner. Sound familiar? Okay. Okay. Running out of time. The last thing the enemy uses is compromise. Compromise is great in some situations. For example, in politics, Brexit, please compromise and get on with it. In business, businesses have to be realistic. What they can achieve. They can't do everything at once. They need to deliver on what they promise. And that might not be everything they would like to do. But compromise is not good when it comes to our ethics or our moral principles. How we decide what's right and what's wrong. What we're going to allow ourselves to participate in. Compromise means to go just a little bit below what you know is right. You don't need to completely lie, just a white lie, just a half-truth. Don't cheat a lot, just cheat a little. Don't cut all the corners, just cut some. C.S. Lewis, again, in the Screwtape Letter, says this, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Okay, so hopefully now we understand a little bit more about our enemy and some of his tactics and weapons, but now we know all of that, how can we fight against it? And this is where knowing yourself comes into it. So, this isn't just about knowing yourself individually, although it does include that, and I'll touch on that in a second. But it's about knowing what side you are on in this war. And your side is led by King Jesus. We are in a war, yes. But the good news is we are on the winning side. And that's not wishful thinking, that's the truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, 25. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. King Jesus wins, and through Jesus, we win. The good King Jesus has defeated the enemy, but the enemy is not going to go down without a fight. The enemy is going to take as many as they can with them. So how do we defend and fight the enemy now? I'm not going to spend much time on this point. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear, as Michelle will cover this in far more detail next week. But the key to defending and fighting is by knowing yourself and the power of God, knowing the truth about ourselves. Are you aware of yourself enough to know where you are vulnerable to attack? We need to be honest enough to say, here are some places in my life of real weakness. This is a place where the enemy has access to me, do you have enough self-awareness to really know the entry points into your soul that the enemy uses? Maybe some clear patterns of sin in your life. Perhaps there is a growing emotional attachment to someone for whom it is inappropriate for you to be attached to. Maybe you and your spouse have got a little bit more distant and it would take very little to push you over the edge to divorce. Or maybe you've allowed bitterness toward God to grow in your soul, and it wouldn't take very much to push you away from your relationship with the Lord. Maybe for you there are certain situations where you are susceptible to the enemy's weapons, situations that you do not do well in. Maybe when you travel alone or when you're with a certain group, that there are certain things that trigger this self-destructive behavior or that you are so needy for attention that you are vulnerable to flattery? Or do you find yourself constantly depressed and discouraged by accusations of what you should have done, regrets over what you did or did not do? Only where we know where we are weak can we strengthen our defenses. When we know to avoid certain situations or certain TV channels, or certain websites, when we know where we are weak, we can draw on God's power and strength to defend. In Ephesians 6.10, as we read earlier, it said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Do you pray in times of weakness and say, Lord, I need your power. Nothing is too hard for you. You know this great power, this great might is not far away. The Bible says that this power is in you. That your great hope of defeating the mighty enemy named Satan, God's power is in you through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You know, the King James Version uses the phrase exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and imagine according to the power that is at work in us. You know, the Apostle Paul literally comes to the limit of the Greek language here. There is simply no way to describe the power that is at work in you as a follower of Jesus. No matter the situation, know that the Holy Spirit in you has the strength, has the power to enable you to overcome that situation. Recognize your weak areas and pray for strength in them. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as the Apostle John says in 1 John 4.4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If we are able to, let's stand.